Hello and welcome to Alan Overy's podcast. I'm Marmia Kwafo Koto, a senior associate at Alan Overy in the fund and asset management team, which focuses on structuring funds and also advising institution investors on all aspects of asset management. I primarily focus on advising institutional investors and sit within the institutional investor side of the team. And this year I celebrate 10 years of advising sovereign wealth funds, family offices, insurance companies, pension funds and development finance institutions around the world on their investment arrangements. I'm from Ghana, but I live and work in London, but Ghana will always be a home for me. So I'm really excited that on today's podcast, we'll be focusing on an institutional investor's perspective on investing in Africa. Today, I would like to welcome Mr. Uche Orji, CEO of the Nigeria Sovereign Investment Authority, also known as NSIA, who I will be interviewing today. Uche joined NSIA as CEO in October 2012, from Switzerland's largest bank, UBS. Uche, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mami. Thank you for having me. What are the, some of the lessons that have been learned by NSIA during the COVID-19 pandemic? And also want to sort of ask whether you see any changes in the approach that NSIA will take to investing and day-to-day working. Well, thank you for that. I think for us, and probably speak for the large population of corporate Nigeria, The whole COVID pandemic has been a very interesting experience. I think the first thing we all learned was our vulnerabilities in our logistics and supply chain in certain sectors, particularly sectors that are very important for the country, be it the agriculture sector, healthcare sector. So I think that was the very first thing that drew up. And I think that's a lesson not just for the NSIA, but also for the rest of the world as we all came to terms with how interconnected we have all become and how these disruptions can be a big problem. I think the second thing we also came to terms with was also the need to focus on gathering capital internally rather than depending on external capital contributions. And the reason was because this is probably one of the first few times we've seen a synchronized economic slowdown globally. We've also seen the whole world fighting the same common enemy and with really, really significant impacts on fiscal balances of various countries. And so external investment became a little bit more challenging. And so one had to look inwards. The third thing I think that the whole COVID pandemic, for me in particular, Uh, brought home was just the challenges of our healthcare systems in Nigeria. And I know I alluded to it at the opening statement about the general logistical challenges, but also the actual implementation challenges for healthcare for me became really stark. And it's everything from the number of anesthesiologists in the country to the lack of laboratory capacity for testing, all the way to some of the challenges to do with isolation centers, the lack of ventilators. So these are all real factors that I think not only present social challenges, but also present investment opportunity for the country. So it was interesting to see all that. The good news for Nigeria has been that the death rate has been very low and infection rate has been significantly lower than we've seen in other parts of the world. And it's rising, it's rising. But quite frankly, we have noticed an extraordinary the high number of deaths. So it's so far so good, been well managed in the country, I would say, and hasn't quite had the same impact. Now, as to whether that will have the impact that's had in the way we work on a day-to-day basis, we've all learned to work from home like everybody else. I think my office 
after the lockdown we've reopened, we've been operating at less than 50% utilization in terms of occupancy. We've also found ourselves tweaking a little bit our focus for investing in the domestic markets. As you're aware, we have half of our capital. We used to be 40% of our capital was for domestic investments. We changed that earlier before the pandemic to 50%. But the urgency of having to invest that now in the various sectors of interest is now become more compelling. So we're finding ourselves accelerating some of our investment programs in the domestic economy. It's training up opportunities because in the whole of this downturn, of course, if you're an investor and you have access to capital, that also is presenting a lot of opportunities that may not have been easily available to us uh, before the pandemic. So we're working very hard to take advantage of that. That's very interesting. And so are you finding that there's an increasing demand on asset managers focusing in Nigeria? Are you finding that local managers are trying to get up the curve far more quickly than they were before because there's a demand to invest locally? Both. both. I think for us, it's been quite interesting. We've seen the local pension funds, for example, uh, work with us on various programs such as infrastructure co-investments plans in the country. So we're working very closely with a lot of the local pension funds on that. Uh, and that has been quite interesting to see because we created a vehicle a long while ago to create infrastructure credit guarantee. Uh, it's a company called InfraCredit. And that has helped some of the pension funds make some small investments in infrastructure. But now we're talking about creating big vehicles alongside pension funds for local infrastructure investment. So that's number one. Number two, we've created an investment allocation for venture capitals. And it was nice to see that being taken up by some of the local investors that have experience working in various other parts of the world and they're back in Nigeria. So we're seeing a lot of getting up to speed. But we also have, surprisingly to me, continue to see some interest to invest alongside us in the, in the country. And that has come largely from Hong Kong, actually. So we've seen interest, and I believe this is also some Chinese investors all wanting to take advantage of the environment. So we're seeing interest, a little bit less from where we traditionally have seen interest, be you know Europe and the United States, a little bit out of Asia as they look to co-invest alongside us. Uh, these are all interests. We haven't really done anything with some of them, but it was nice to see how the whole capital structure and the landscape is shaking out with more domestic, a little bit out of Asia, less so out of Europe and the United States. But I believe that will come back once people get back to work and everything settles down again. Thank you. And just moving back again to the pandemic, I was really interested to read about the Nigeria Solidarity Support Fund. And I understand that's a partnership with Global Citizens. Are you able to just tell us a bit about that? I understand that it's aimed at providing immediate and long-term support in the fight against COVID-19. Just very interested to hear about that. What has happened with the whole COVID pandemic and the response is everybody is trying very hard to see how they can respond and support the country in managing the whole impact of COVID. And this ranges from direct support to the healthcare systems. Nigeria is made up of 774 local governments, 36 states and the federal government, of course. So getting healthcare support to some of these local governments is one of the visions of global citizens. And it just so happens that the pandemic is accelerating a lot of the responses. Now, what we have also offered as NSIA is to be the fund manager for all the funds raised by global citizens. So the whole idea of the response and the fundraise and all of that is with global citizens. But our job as NSIA is to help them in pulling the funds together, in, in managing the funds and ensuring that it is properly accounted for 
and spent in the areas that the needs are identified. Of course, there'll be a grant manager who's yet to be appointed that, whose job will be to work on designing these grants, but we are just there as fund managers. And what does that mean? Okay, we are going to be re- receiving the funds on their behalf and we're going to help them uh, design an investment plan and where to spend the money alongside the grant manager and then make sure that the funds are actually adequately placed in those places where there are needs be it in the local hospitals, be it in other forms of support for everyone that's uh, affected. The vision of where it will be spent belongs to global citizens. We are just there as fund managers. This is pro bono work for the NSIA and all the service providers who have been invited into this are all providing their services also pro bono. So there isn't anybody getting paid for it. And that's from the lawyers to the accountants to the banks who are all part of this. The fund was only just pre-launched. It was pre-announced. Uh, there's a formal launch coming up shortly. The date will be by Global Citizens and there'll be a public launch of the fund. And the idea of that fund is to raise $50 million to help the presidential task force in Nigeria for COVID address areas of inadequacies. The objective will be to try and get to each of these local governments where we believe everything from inadequate lab facilities, lack of medication, treatment facilities that are a little bit on, not properly equipped can get some relief. But this is one of many programs being run in the country. And it has been established as a charitable trust, and it's called the Nigeria Solidarity Support Fund. So global citizens in New York and NSIA entered into an agreement to set this up. And it's been sponsored by the two leaders of global citizens in Nigeria, Mr. Aige Mokwede and Mr. Tunde Folawiye. So these are the two gentlemen who are members of global citizens who are championing this vehicle for Nigeria. So... It will be like everything NSI transparently accounted for. The places of needs will be identified. And even after the COVID pandemic, we're hoping to raise significantly more money still to help the government address the social fallout of COVID. So th- there's a whole program for how this will be invested that's being designed with Global Citizen and also with yet to be appointed grant manager for the NSIA on a pro bono basis is a fund manager for the Global Citizens' effort. We're excited about it. It's a well-structured entity registered with the Corporate Affairs Commission of Nigeria as a charitable trust. So, and everybody providing services, like I mentioned earlier, is doing so pro bono. That's the structure. There'll be a formal launch coming up soon and the date will be announced by Global Citizens. So there'll be a virtual launch of it, but it's a big launch ceremony and event coming up shortly. We are, or I certainly am personally, very excited about it when I sort of heard about the need of children who can't go to school. And certainly in the UK, we're doing a lot of homeschooling, use of iPads, whereas I understand that in certain areas in Nigeria that that, that children don't have access to such technology. So there is a lot of pressure as to how they will be educated. So I think it's fantastic. You mentioned it's, it's all pro bono. Do you see NSIA doing more of that pro bono type of work being involved in such initiatives or is this sort of a one-off? This, this is a one-off. Um, yeah. It's a one-off and that's only because we're not really designed or set up to do things like this on an ongoing basis. Yeah. So my sense is that the sense of this is to deal with, with the matter at hand. But I believe that the role of global citizen is significantly uh, beyond this. And they are working on many other things that are not within the essence of this solidarity support fund itself. And I believe they will be doing more. And if in the future, there's an area of need that we identify that fits with what we believe is 
our mandate at the NSIA and where we can support and be of help, certainly I'm sure we will consider it. Look, what is the essence of the NSIA? The essence of the NSIA is to provide long-term savings for future generations of Nigerians. If you have a healthcare crisis today that threatens to disrupt that and you don't do something and you are you know, being completely obtuse, and I think that's just not the right way to react to something like this. So we will be available. Anything that threatens the saving space of Nigerians, be it the healthcare, be it the agriculture, be it anything that we believe can help, or the technology, yes, certainly. So, but for now, this should be treated as a one-off effort of the NSIA, and we'll see other areas of collaboration in the future. The good news is that we're working very closely and very well with global citizens. Now, I, I, I pick up on your point about the children who can't go to school. I think this is a problem for many places. In Africa in particular, it's quite bad. If you live in Lagos or Abuja or Potakot or into other places like Kano, you may not realize how bad it is until you move into all their hinterlands. So getting, making sure that there is a solution, it's something that I think it should be at the heart of everyone's efforts to support. And, and so Global Citizens is looking at some of these things and we will see how we can help them achieve that. Because the NSIA sees an alignment of that effort of Global Citizens with our mandate at the NSIA. Very recently, the governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria gifted President Buhari with a Nigerian gold bar, signifying Nigeria's move to the use of precious metal to boost foreign exchange reserves. This is an exciting development for Nigeria, which I'm extremely interested about. And and I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about that and, and then separately what other opportunities you see in Nigeria for investors. Thank you very much. Um, so let me go through... Uh, we're quite excited about the what is being dubbed the Presidential Artisanal Gold Mining Initiative, PAGME, that was launched by the president at which the gold bar was gifted to, well, it wasn't gifted, it was bought by the central bank and presented to the president. And the whole idea behind this is to structure the artisanal gold mining sector. And what had been happening and what's still happening is that there's a whole bunch of artisanal gold mining going on in various parts of the country. And this so far is sold to unscrupulous traders and smugglers who take it out of the country. And I read a statistic about how much gold is actually from Nigeria taken out of the country. And over the last five years, something in the order of about 18 tons, which is really from this artisanal mining uh, sector. And the truth is they're not A, rewarded properly, the, the buyers are not registered or structured, or they pay any taxes. And C, the country has not really get a hold of its assets. And so the president, about five years ago, I believe, or four years ago, put together it's a, a solid mineral development fund to help a fund the development of the sector and also structure the artisanal gold mining segment. And what really was going on with this is that artisanal miners can now go to a government-designated buying center and sell their, their gold, gets paid for, and then the country aggregates all that across the various buying centers that will be set up soon and takes it out of the country for refining. And the Central Bank of Nigeria will buy it as part of an off-ticket and guarantee that, and that forms part of the reserves. And so the um, exciting thing about it is this. Number one, the it helps us structure the sector and develop it further. Number two, the artisanal gold miners will get paid fair value, which at the moment isn't the case. Number three, it will trigger the development of the gold sector. 
Uh, this is something many people are not aware of, but there are four or five states that I know in Nigeria that have extensive gold deposits and has not really been exploited because we've spent, we've spent a lot of our time on crude oil. But I, I believe that we have uh, the level of deposits that will certainly shock the world, especially in terms of gold. And so this is an exciting development. Beyond the artisanal gold miners, we're hoping that this then gives us the opportunity to now develop the gold mining sector for industrial players in the precious metals area. But the other thing that this helps us accomplish as a country is the development of other precious metals and industrial metals that so far we haven't seen uh, developed properly. For many years before crude oil became the dominant mineral in Nigeria, Nigeria had extensive reserves of tin and coal and, and still has extensive reserves of iron ore, most of which have not been well developed. And partly because of distraction and focus on oil and also partly because of lack of infrastructure. And some infrastructure is now being built to enable the sector. Recently, a rail line was commissioned that runs from the seaport of Wari through the heart of the country to a place called uh, Itape, uh, Jokuta area, which actually is the heart of the iron ore sector in Nigeria. Unexploited, undeveloped, and so you expect to see this now take off because you have the real infrastructure that will help you get it out for exports. The third thing that, the third thing that needs to be developed in my opinion is now the commodities exchange, uh, which is something we've been working on at the NSIA for quite a few years. And we're hoping that once there's a well-functioning commodities exchange, you can actually see these pockets of industrial metals, precious metals, and other deposits that uh, from limestone that at the moment is in extensive supply across the country that could be exported to other African countries or used to develop uh, industries that would need them. So it's an exciting development in Nigeria and something that I believe will get people to pay a little bit of attention to other areas of the country. You know, there are extensive silver deposits in Nigeria and nickel is in extensive supply in this country. And there are many other things, I believe, are available from platinum uh, that have not yet been developed. So this is a very laudable first step in getting this sector organized. And I'm looking forward to the impact of this across uh, uh, the rest of the, of the basic mineral sector. So it's quite exciting, quite frankly. We are quite excited about what this will open. Now, the presentation of the gold bar, you've noticed the president was there, the central bank governor was there. The central bank is offering to offtake the gold that gets produced through this artisanal gold mining initiative. Um, so, so quite exciting and something to watch for. I think you've just demonstrated that the common statement of there's, there's no money in Africa is, is clearly incorrect. I think you've demonstrated that there are lots of opportunities that are being worked on, are being developed. Um, and so it, it's sort of a watch this space, I think, statement that is, is, is more appropriate. Do, do you agree with that? You no, know, I, I agree with, I mean, yeah, say there's no money in Africa is quite a bizarre statement to make. Granted, right? Many assets still need to be developed and turned into uh, money. But in terms of the potential to develop assets in Africa, it's, it's quite significant. Number two, look, at the end of the day, you need to get your population employed and productive. And a lot of what's going on will make that happen. And I think we can create a lot of wealth in Africa. I have not heard that said in, in, those, ter in those terms. I've heard it alluded to and people have said also. And part of it is also is because we haven't looked inwards to develop our potential uh, as a people. And there's a tendency to become a monoproduct economy. Like in the case of Nigeria, it became all about crude oil. But we can generate just as much, if not more, from agriculture. 
we can generate just as much, if not more, quite frankly, from solid minerals. And so there are other sectors in the country that could be developed. I think that the most important area the country should focus its efforts on, quite frankly, is in industrialization. You really cannot create sustainable wealth if you haven't created everything from basic industries to advanced industries in the country. I watch very closely how Taiwan and China developed. I used to be a semiconductor analyst in my first, in my earlier career. And, and this was from the late 90s when China was starting to really become a technology powerhouse up until 2012 when I left to become uh, the CEO of the Nigeria Southern Investment Authority. And you have to be methodical about this. Countries started off in, in, in Asia making knockoffs of products from Europe and, and Japan and over time became original equipment manufacturers and over time started investing a lot in R&D. Today, Huawei holds more 5G patents than Nokia and Ericsson. When I used to cover these companies, it was, Huawei was nothing. Um, and so you look at it and it's about being focused on developing your potential. And we do have a lot of it. So whilst I look at basic mineral, basic material sector from crude oil to metals and the mining sector, I actually think that the real wealth is in turning that into industrial production and adding value to it. And so a lot of that will happen, but at the minimum also ensuring that there's an efficient market for rising of these of this basic minerals, of basic materials in Nigeria, and which is why having a centralized commodity exchange in Nigeria will be very, very important. And that way we don't have some unscrupulous traders, you know, smuggle gold out of Nigeria and pay peanuts to the, to the miners. That's just not something that will happen. So when all of this infrastructure is in place, from the financial market infrastructure to the fiscal infrastructure, we'll have a fair trading environment, which I believe will unlock the value of, of so-called there is no money in Africa. That will turn on its head, in my opinion. And I think we're just uh, going to be working on that and, and hopefully can achieve it. I look forward to seeing that. So what, what is your view on the use of Eurobond financing by African sovereigns? We've, we've read a lot about it in the FT, varying views, some, some critiquing it. It would be useful to get a view from your perspective. Right. I, I think the Eurobond financing is one of many tools for providing financing. And I think, number one, my first concern with it, though, is that the yields are a little bit higher than they should be. And again, of course, if you compare that to the financing pricing you'll get from, say, an IMF or any of the multilateral agencies, it tends to be much higher. But I see it as one of several capital markets and financing instruments that's available to Africa and, and to Nigeria. And so I'm mindful of the fact that it's expensive, but it's also expensive because of the regulatory structure around it, right? So you go to the market, if you're an instrument, it gets rated, the price moves up and down depending on your outlook. But I, I think that the yields, in my opinion, are a little bit more generous than they should be. And that's also partly because misalignments and information in the marketplace. So for an investor, I think this is an incredible opportunity to come in. But I think the more people buy into the vehicle, uh, into this product, the yields will come down. And I think most of the market that will buy into it do not know enough. So the yields are still fairly high. And that's my personal opinion. But I see it as part of the many other tools that's available to financing. So I have no particular criticism of it. I just think that the buying population for it isn't as well-informed as it should be. And the yields, in my opinion, are still not as low as they should be, quite frankly, especially if you think that the rest of the OECD bordering on zero or negative uh, interest rates, and you still find yields anywhere from 
seven, eight percent in the case of Nigeria and Kenya, all the way to 11, 12, 13, 12 percent recently in Angola. It used to be higher, you know, some of them had yields bordering on, effective yields bordering on, on high teens. So I think there is that perception of risk, which is, you know, could be real, but I just think the market is not yet, in my opinion, developed enough for an efficient pricing to develop for this market. And I think that creates an opportunity for investors. But again, this is my personal view. And that's partly because, look, my life before I came back to run the Nigeria Sovereign Investment Authority, I probably will have seen this instrument the same way anybody in London or New York will see them. But when you live in the country and look at, at it closely, you realize that some of the risk perceptions is, is probably, you know, like everything that creates risk um, is a, you know, a, a mismatch of information, quite frankly. So I think that it is good to have it. Governments have used it. I will use it sparingly, quite frankly. And so far, it has been used wisely and sparingly by a lot of countries. But I will be very worried if this ends up becoming a significantly bigger part of the financing tool because the cost is just too high. And just to our last question, if there were two facts that you would like to be more widely known about investing in Nigeria, what would those two facts be? Number one, <laughs> so before I come to the two facts, let me just start by making a very it's not as scary as people think. And I, I get all this sense when I speak to my friends and colleagues. And the opportunities are significant. And it's not just in the oil sector. So fact number one is, look, it's a 200 million people uh, economy. And with access to the wider ECOWAS economy. And when the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement comes in place, you have access to the wider over 1.2 billion people economy, which is Africa. Right, so oh, 700 million. I don't know what the number is now. 700 million rising to a billion or more. So this is a big economy. It's a big economy with a young population. The median age in Nigeria, as many people know, it's somewhere between 19 and 21. And so it's a very, very young population. And please let me check that number and come back to you because I've heard statistics from various people. But this get my point. It's a very, very young population. I was told half of the population of Nigeria is under the age of 21. So when you look at that, it is a significant economic potential in terms of workforce and creativity and consumption. So it's a big market and bigger than it's being given credit at the moment. And I think people should look at it that way. While this is widely alluded to, my sense is that not many people have actually invested in the areas that will take advantage of that, of the demography of Nigeria. The second thing that I think is the strides we have made in ease of doing business. Now, I know the headlines and the headlines tend not to be the ones that you would like to see, but there are also very other good headlines. And there's been a concerted effort by the government of Nigeria through the creation of a presidential ease of business council. And that job is everything from making it easy for you to come into the country, making it easy to come in, into the country and, and invest. And right, whilst we still continue to have the occasional challenges with foreign exchange, the reality is that as we now start to work to diversify economy, we hope to solve that. So when I see people want to come into, the, into Nigeria as investors, I would say, look, take it seriously about this benefits of the demography. It's an exceptional workforce that I think over time will become very, very useful. And then number two is that the investment potential in the country, quite frankly, in various areas from industrialization to solid mineral, are all there to yet to be tapped and should be explored by investors. We at the NSIA hold ourselves out as a partner of choice. So anybody who's looking to invest in the country, even if it's not an area of interest for us, do give us a call. We might be able to point you in the right direction. And if it is, 
we can partner with you. At the NSIA, we've set up co-investment funds with other investors in the past, and we've also co-invested in direct assets. So anybody looking for a partner to work with in the country should consider giving the NSIA a call because we do have access to quite a number of things and areas of focus and interest might be the ones that also reflect investors' focus and interest. Thank you. I think I'm pleased. I'm, I'm proud to hear about all the opportunities. I look forward to seeing how things develop and, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic. I'd like to thank you for your time, Uche. We, we really do appreciate it. I think you've dispelled certain stereotypes and, and really educated us in a short period of time. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for your time.